The sequel cast airs Wednesdays, 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific Time on Cascadia.fm online internet streaming radio you can also download episodes of the sequel cast from www.sequelcast.com it's it's unclear to me whether his eyes are coated or replaced but there's this like silver layer on his eyes that that absorbs and and enhances uh low level lighting allowing him to see with a bare minimum of light there was a podcast called the Sequel Cast. They talked about movies. And they talked about something else called boobies. The Sequel Cast. It's the Sequel Cast. It's the Sequel Cast. www.sequelcast.com Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast. This is a podcast where we talk about movies in a franchise, one movie at a time. We've just started uh, taking a look at the, um, I guess you'd call these the Riddick movies, the Chronicles of Riddick movies, of which there are two, uh, basically. So uh, this episode we're talking about Pitch Black, or in the recent uh, re-releases on DVD, they're called the Chronicles of Riddick, Pitch Black. Um, this was a movie directed in uh, 2000 by David Twohey, and he was also a co-writer on it. He also worked in an older science fiction film called The Arrival, starring Charlie Sheen. Anyway, I'm your host, Uncle Milkshake. With me is Thrasher. Howdy, howdy. And special guest, Zeke. Hi. Did you know, actually, The Arrival has a sequel? It does. I've seen it. Um, it's a bit uh, a bit different from the original, I guess, but... Their knees go backwards. <laughs> That's how you know they're aliens. How do we know it's not our knees that are backwards? Oh, snap. Oh. Well, actually, no, it's funny. I actually was reading an essay that says that the arrival was, was, was a symbolism for U.S. imperial forces in Venezuela. I thought, isn't it more of like a illegal immigrant commentary thing with aliens? I would now, think it would be about the Panama invasion. Because, again, illegal immigrants aren't that powerful, aren't, like, trying to deliberately uh, heat up our Earth. Yeah, I don't know. That's uh, something I would not have thought of. Less now, we agreed so, to talk about pitch black. I will not have the topic change to the arrival <laughs> of my watch. Well, let, okay, well, let, yeah, let's, so let's talk about aliens on another planet, then. Yeah, so pitch black, this is actually my first time seeing this. I haven't seen any of the pitch black... Uh, or, any of the Chronicles of Riddick? I haven't seen any of the, the Riddick movies, right. So, Any Vin Diesel movie? Um, the past ooh, you know, he yeah. wasn't Saving Private Ryan as a small part. I did see Saving Can we Private review Triple uh, X? We could at some point, yeah. He's in uh, the first one of That's those. Sequels. That is a sequel, of course. Um, you know, I, I think I remember him from Saving Private Ryan. I, I think I might have seen... No, he wasn't in Fast and the Furious 2, so I didn't see him in that. Um, oh, those have sequels, too. Well, okay, let's talk a little bit about Vin Diesel, though, as an actor. Well, this film, I think, really introduced America to Vin Diesel. I mean, yes, he'd shown up on a couple of things. He'd been in the Iron Giant and whatnot, but no one really knew Vin Diesel until Pitch Black. I mean, with his shaved head and his kind of, like, macho attitude, nobody really seen that before. And, and um, mumbling that puts David Duchovny to shame. He's got a crazy voice. Like, it's the weirdest, like, talking... I don't want to be talked at. By he's, got like a, 
He's got like a I've been smoking cigars for 20 years voice, but he clearly yeah. hasn't been smoking cigars for 20 years. Oh, but interesting thing, he actually plays D&D. Oh, I know. I've heard that. That's so awesome. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. And he has like, doesn't he have a tattoo of his character? Like, he has a tattoo I, of his half-orc barbarian. There you go. <laughs> He showed. He talked about it when he was on Conan O'Brien a few years ago. It was fantastic. Oh wow, that would be a. Fun he actually thing. got up and did like an orc war cry with his character's name. Huh. Very cool. Yeah, actually, I believe he has an entry in that Thirty Years of D and D book that Wizards of the Coast did a few years ago. That D and D retrospect. He does. So I think then, he why has the intro for it? Uh, then why hasn't he done like he needs to do a good fantasy film? That's a good I really question. do he like Vin Diesel's career. At least as of this point, is something where. You know, sort of like Vin Diesel, and, and I like to think of The the Rock. We're kind of trying to do action movies at the same time, and I think The Rock took off a little bit more, but both of them had something similar where then they did some family films. But um, yeah, I'm, Oh, I'm, God, I'm, yeah. What was that Vin Diesel one where the you... The Pacifier. The Pacifier, yes. Ugh. But, um, but you know who started that stuff? And also uh, The Rock did one of those kind of movies. Uh, Hulk Hogan. Mr. Suburban Mr. Commando, Mr. yeah. Commando. No, not Suburban Commander. No. Mr. Right. Yes. And then old Schwarzenegger did some Jingle All the Way. Might have been a sort of a family film, but... <laughs> Jingle All the Way! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Vin Diesel was a... I mean, this movie, Pitch Black, wasn't a big movie at the time. It was made fairly cheap, and it, it did make a profit. But uh, this wasn't like a huge blockbuster film. Yeah, no, small cast. Um, small cast. Kind of like a thriller, horror, uh, horror sci-fi. But I'll, I'll just say, when this when this film came out, I loved it. I saw it three times in the theater. Oh, wow, okay. I, I was saw, really into I saw this commercials. film. I wasn't impressed, but then I actually wound up seeing it, and I really was blown away by it. It, it throws a lot of cliches kind of out the window while still showing... The stuff that we expect. Exactly. Like, I guess. I guess in that way, it's it's like Alien. They have they have not much money and not much of a premise, but they turn it to something very enjoyable and thrilling to watch. And that, that's what I, I think I love the most about this movie. It was just a good bare bones science fiction adventure. Yeah, there's something you have to say. It's unusual to see a science fiction film that doesn't have a plot that's really uh, convoluted. And this is a real basic uh, ship crash, crash lands on a planet. They need to find some power units to restart the ship. And uh, It's people get into trouble, people want to get out of trouble. That's, that's the whole thing. Yeah. But, um, so the first time I heard about this movie, I saw the trailers, I guess, but I never saw it in the theater. But I, I used to work with a guy at, at his day job, and he's also a novelist. His name's is... Uh, uh, James A. Moore uh, is his name. He wrote... Oh, now I can't think of what he's written. Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is he wrote a Buffy the Vampire Slayer novel called Chaos Bleeds based off a video game. But he, he wrote something else called Under the Overtree and um, a lot of other stuff. He's a pretty pretty nice guy, pretty good writer. But he was recommending Pitch Black because he thought the character development, that he thought every character had an arc and really stressed that part of it. And... Um, I don't know if I agree with him on that point. I think there's some interesting characters, but uh, this movie's pretty ballsy in that a lot of characters die without mm-hmm. warning, you know, up until well, the end. That's what I also love about it. It, it. it does stuff 
that's like not supposed to happen in a standard action film. I mean, the it's, token it's not... black guy lives to the end and gets off the planet alive, and I and I and I freaking love that because uh, because like I first became really consciously aware of the token black guy role in <laughs> Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Huh, they did the, yeah, with Jax. Yeah. Like we're like in the video game, Jax is one of my favorite fighters, and I'm like, oh, awesome, he's going to be in the new movie. And in the new movie, all he does is is kind of walk around, look tough, and say, damn. And, and wow. it really pissed me off. And that was really the first time I became aware of of the shitty token black guy role. And here we have the awesome, amazing, kick-ass Keith David as 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 uh, Abu Al-Walid, who, who's, who's, who would otherwise be the token black guy role, but he's a good, strong grounded spiritual character and he survives to the end of the movie he doesn't die in the first five minutes and need to get get avenged he is in this crisis from beginning to end and you root for him and i love it i think i think uh, down the line i want to talk about the spirituality of this movie that's comments on it because the character itself is not just the token black guy he's also the the soul he's the religious member of the group, and everybody else didn't really seem to have it, except he has a, a I guess a flock or what do we a congregation of three boys, for some reason. Uh, I was tr- I was trying to figure out that in the movie. As as I recall, he was escorting them on a pilgrimage. Yeah, it's like a pilgrimage that people of his faith should do once in a lifetime. And it so he's kind of a teacher, then, and for that, uh, it's also very interesting that he survives. Because um, usually those characters are also their test, their faith is tested, and usually found wanting, and they die because of it. Well, let's let's start at the beginning of the movie. I have to say, even though it's low budget, the beginning with the spaceship uh, crashing on the planet Hades, I think, looks really nice. It doesn't waste time either. You get some beauty shots of the spaceship, and then immediately cometary debris rips through it, and the crisis begins. And they're all in hypersleep, which is how space travel will be. We will all be in cryo chambers, because uh, that technology will work. Actually, no. We shall have we shall have our bodies destroyed and our minds preserved, and new bodies built for us at our destination. Uh, I like that much better. Actually, wait. No, I don't. <laughs> unless I wait, no, unless I get to choose what the body looks like, because I want to be a tiger. <laughs> I, I would say I want to be a centaur, but I'm already a centaur. Mm. Well, well, half centaur on my mother's side. Centaurs can podcast, too. Uh, yes, absolutely. So, but I, I think that's pretty smart to have most of the characters in, uh, well, they're in cryosleep, and then they get out of cryosleep one by one because the captain is dead, and they have to take over uh, controlling the ship. But it's, this movie has a lot of characters before they all start getting killed off, and it's a way to sort of introduce a few characters. You have... Uh, Fry or Carolyn Fry, the uh, the female captain played by Rada Mitchell, who I've seen her in uh, the Silent Hill movie, I believe. Yeah. But I don't think I've seen her in anything else. I've seen her. Uh, I'm trying to remember the last. But like, she was in Finding Neverland with Johnny Depp. Thank you. That's where I was trying to remember her from. Um, she's been in some cool stuff. Uh, she was in uh, Men on Fire with Denzel Washington, which I was watching last week. Mm-hmm. This is her. Mozart and a Whale with Josh Hartnett? The hell was that? Oh, she was also in the remake of The Crazies. Ah, right. That's pretty good. Yes. 
Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so but she actually said it on TV. They showed the remake of the Crazies on TV. No, no, no. Uh, she was on a, a show uh, called Sugar and Spice in uh, the late eighties. Oh. Uh, she was also in Neighbors. No, she wasn't. The Australian was soap opera. Oh yes, the Australian Neighbors, not the not the, the English Neighbors. Th- that means that there might be video of her naked somewhere. Could very what? well be the case. That's the case wait, with wait, a wait, lot wait, of wait, why, why are you saying that? Big Australian soap operas can show full frontal. They oh. often do. That's very cool. Um, but yeah, she plays a really cool character in this, but I love how in the beginning we're kind of we're tossed at this idea that the whole cast could have died just by the captain um, uh, shunting all the passengers into space. That's right, yeah, because as, as the, uh, the ship is landing, it's uh, going through the atmosphere, it's burning up, and she's about to jettison them, but she uh, she doesn't. I mean, she she doesn't she because the captain said like she is forced in the role of a leader of a group that she could have killed when they when they crash land all those people she had a hand like she could have killed them all and wouldn't have had wouldn't have had to lead these people out of uh, out of I guess out of their, out of desperation. Um, and just is kind of beaten into this role, um, especially with the people that she has in this party, um, including a collector, a cleric, and a tomboy, and uh, oh god, what else? Who's a, uh, an alcoholic British guy? Yeah, he's also about. Oh no, he's a co- he's a collector. Uh, no, you're talking about Johns. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Johns is just yeah. He's a Bounty hunter slash she thinks he's a cop to begin with because he has a really awesome prisoner, Riddick. Yeah. And I think, you know, the whole way Vin Diesel does Riddick, I think, is even though his voice is is deep and can be hard to understand at times, he has a lot of lines of dialogue that are supposed to kind of be punchlines, but he doesn't Hmm. deliver them in a humorous way. Like, he, he... he tries to be very flat and serious, and he, he doesn't have much dialogue, and it makes the character very mysterious. Yeah, he's not—he's not ironically self-aware the way so many uh, action heroes are. Well, exactly, and like a lot of dialogue that stuck out to me that you know could have been delivered in a humorous way, but it wasn't. Is uh, there's a part where they're going towards an entrance to a building, and they said, "Oh, is it safe? Are there any aliens in there?" And he says, "It looks safe." And this guy runs up towards the opening, and an alien pops out, almost pins him down, and flies away. And he says, well, you said it was safe. And he said, no, I just said it looks safe. Yeah, but it's just, done. I said it looks safe. Yeah, right. It's a... he's, everything is, he's so so downplayed with Riddick. You know, he, he's, it, I guess it comes off, he's a character that's seen and been a part of so many horrible things, that he just sort of operates on a very, oddly enough, a very mellow mold, a uh, very mellow level, unless he's being threatened. And then there will be no mercy if he's being threatened. Well, I mean, he's he's surly and brutal. He's he's a convicted murderer. And because of the, the prison that they put him in was like a black hole, or not a black hole, but it was like a, a dark planet, another dark planet. Well, it was it was a prison, it was all sub, it was a subterranean prison complex where there was apparently li- little to no lighting, 
So so Riddick, in order to survive there, uh, had He's an underground surgeon. surgeon. Cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, he had an underground surgeon perform what's known as a shine job, where your eyes... It's, it's unclear to me whether his eyes are coated or replaced, but there's this, like, silver layer on his eyes that, that absorbs and, and enhances uh, low-level lighting, allowing him to see with a bare minimum of light. However, it makes him incredibly sensitive to normal levels of light. And he has to wear these goggles all the time, which is kind of his look. The shaved head with these huge black goggles that are slightly askew. Oh, you know it's a cool scene? I love when he's like, he has hair in the beginning, it's not long, it's kind of like, it's been growing. And then he takes that grease, like I, I think it actually is like grease, and he pour, he puts it on his head, and it basically holds the hair together enough so that he can use his knife to just like cut his hair, just to shave his head down. Well, that shaving scene is pretty cool. That, I gotta say that, that just... The level of technology in this isn't forced at you, and even more, they're then put to having to do things even more difficult. Because the collector has got a whole bunch of uh, booze and a sarcophagi. He's got a whole bunch of, like, Maori weapons and Zulu warrior shields and a, a, a blowgun from Papua New Guinea that the entire tribe at that time in the future had been wiped out, so it's extremely expensive. Uh, extremely rare, but I just I I love the idea that they were thinking about defending themselves from what else is on the planet with ancient weapons because they don't have anything more than a shotgun and uh, other weapons that are good against the creatures. I guess we'll discuss. Well, that's something else I like about this movie is how the crisis builds because you know at, once the spaceship crashes. The survivors, I mean, really what they think is going to kill them is starvation, but before that, dehydration, because they're dropped on a desert planet where the three suns, and then I will say this, physics sticklers, this is a solar system that will not work, but that's okay, because it's an adventure movie, uh, but, you know, they think that they, th- they think that they're just going to, they're going to, they're going to dehydrate, and that's when they start realizing, and then, you know, as they start finding a way to eke out survival on this planet, that's when they realize that starvation and dehydration are the least of their problems. Well, at the beginning... I I was going to talk about the booze, because the the Muslim Muslim can't have uh, booze. And they go looking, so basically sends the three boys out, and everybody's looking for water. I mean, one guy tries digging in the earth to find a natural spring, for whatever reason. And the others try and actually find uh, uh, trees or anything that's in the desert. And the cool scene is, is when they're coming over the hill, they see these massive trees that are beautiful, bone-white trees. They come up, and it's a pit, and it's just massive bones that look like trees. And I was like, what did that animal look like? Well, that, that is a chilling scene, but yeah... Like, in that pit are the remains of some truly titanic something or others. It really just fuels the imagination of what what other nasties were on this planet. Well, and one thing uh, this movie Pitch Black does that's pretty smart is it. it's not like as soon as they crash land on the planet, it's nonstop alien fighting. Yeah. It As you mentioned, Thrasher, it builds, and there's even... I mean, this movie is a combination of some, you know, you can say science fiction and horror... And you can also say at the beginning even a little bit of a murder mystery as one character um, 
goes into a goes into a hole and dies, and they think, oh, you know, Riddick must have killed him. And then he's sitting on top of somewhere having a drink. He's drinking booze on top of the spaceship. Yeah, <laughs> but that's when they reveal yeah. the aliens. And I have to say, even though there's only one kind of alien in this movie, it didn't really get on my nerves. I think the special. No, effect... why would that? Why would that make you mad? They, if they had one type of alien in the Alien. Well, sure. No, I, the only thing I can compare it to off the top of my head is uh, in the first Hellboy movie. There are these dog uh, creatures. Oh, the Hounds of Nergal, yes. Yeah, the Hounds of Nergal. And I found them in uh, the first Hellboy really, really obnoxious because you sort of see them in a few set pieces and it got a bit repetitive with the with the fight scenes. But I think uh, these aliens in Pitch Black, they're a bit more like insects and they're very quick moving. And Well, they're swarmers. Yes. I mean, you have them where they... I guess the important thing is is that they can't come out when it's light outside. They can't come out when the three suns are up. They're and nocturnal the only time, killers. The only time they they can come out is during the eclipse that a planetoid uh, creates for like uh, I think what twenty years or something. it's every it's like roughly every twenty two years the the planets and moons and star and suns in this triple sun system align in such a way that this moon that they're on gets enveloped in, in uh, total darkness. For well, I think years. that's so cool that these creatures, they're able to, I guess, survive long enough that they can then come back out. So things must go into the cave, like insects and such that they can eat, that they can survive, until they can come out and basically strip the planet bare. They're like nocturnal locusts. And I was thinking about aliens, because... They look so much like H.R. Geiger. They look like Geiger-inspired creatures. Where I was looking at the creatures in this, and I was thinking they look like something that Brom would draw. You know, I I was actually going to say Wayne Douglas Barlow. Barlow, really? Yeah, I mean, especially with the curvature of their head, it really looks like some. It it really reminds me of some of the creatures from his uh, his illustrated book Expedition. Which, by the way, is the Earth's premier work on xenoecology. I hardly recommend people studying that field. Check it out. You know, I was reminded a bit of a, a dinosaur sort of design, which is just the way the creature looked. I thought sort of like the wings of the pterodactyl combined with something else. But, I mean, it's certainly not a design that looks super... You can tell they put some time into the alien design. It doesn't look really derivative. Or I thought the special effect for the alien looked... Looks okay. Looks better in the darker scenes, but I mean, this movie is ten years old. True, and some of the CGI isn't super amazing in some. But scenes. I, I like the sound. They, I think the the sound that the alien makes is pretty effective. Well, what's really cool about them is that they 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 do hunt by sound, and they also have eyes so far set apart that they're they're either their oculars or their or. Uh, Visuals. I'm not sure if they're. I think, I think it's here. implied that it's a kind of sonar. Mm. So they're very much like bats in that sense, but they 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 are able to catch that sound at two different points. So they actually have a blind spot right in front of their face, and they have these huge gash teeth, kind of like um, oh man, something like you'd see out of an anime, or or like just like a beak but with razor-sharp teeth that don't look like they're... That I, I do think they look real enough, like their placement. Well, they're horrible flat. needle teeth. 
Yeah, but they weren't needled. They were like ser- they were um, serrated rows. If they were needle teeth, that'd be a little. I think that'd actually be a little less frightening. Because then they'd be more like a Venus flytrap. Oh yeah. But these things were like. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the magic card wall of blades. <laughs> That was an artifact. I think it costs four uncolored mana. Anywho, speaking of though, I think also the design of this could easily work in a magic card. I think <laughs> the slivers that they created were uh, very close to uh, how these things look. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a ripoff somewhere in somebody's deck of something that looks exactly like this. But of course, this came first. They it's also cool one. because they, they also, their head looks like an anchor. I think I should also say that. But, but but keep it. If anyone who has listening hasn't seen this, he means that in the best possible way, like a sleek, like, high tech, futuristic bone anchor. No, not futuristic. It looks like a bone anchor. It looks like it looks like crosshairs as well. I mean, the way that thing flies, I, I can't imagine if it was like a hammerhead with just one row, just with one line. But the other way, it's like, man, that thing. How does that thing like maneuver in places? That Oh god, it's gotta get hooked or it's gotta do it's gotta do some damage to its own head. Well, it's really, like a, it's like a cat. I really appreciate how in a lot of uh, science fiction movies you'll see, you know, guys with machine guns mowing down rows and rows of aliens and they never really seem like much of a threat. But in pitch black, pretty much in almost every instance, the aliens will kill off the human characters like in one hit. They'll come out of nowhere. I mean they're a real threat because you know Almost everyone in the movie dies, mm. and that's not something you see in a lot of movies, and it, it does keep the movie pretty suspenseful. I mean, there's even a part, you know, near the end where there's a major character comes to save Riddick, and uh, she gets killed, and that, really, that one really surprised me. That was, okay, that was really cool, the way that she, she becomes our kind of our main character, even though she doesn't want to be the leader. Are you talking about Carol? Like yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm talking about Fry. Yeah, let's let's call her Fry. Um, she is kind of girlish, but she's stony. She's careful, but she's vulnerable, and she can be cruel. I mean, she she the whole cool thing about this movie is there's no truly confident character except for Jones, who's a dick. And Riddick, who's kind of a sick guy who who buys some of the acts in this movie, does redeem himself. But but she there are times that she's she's the one in this that is the most tested by the events and by where she's put in. So going back for Riddick, um, trying to save everybody, the things she does to uh to get the 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 uh, sorry, brain fart. The ship in order, and her dealings with Johns as well, and all well, those things that she does really makes her an amazing character in this movie. But we do get more screen time for Riddick because he's cool and action packed. Well, we get more screen time for Riddick, but not much more screen time for Riddick. I mean, it almost is. It's it, uh, the Fry, Jack, and Riddick really do share the role of main character. It's like Riddick is not the absolute focus of this film as he will be in the sequels. I do like, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about Jack. 
um, Rihanna Griffith, uh, who should have been in the sequel. Yeah, there's the, there's this there's this kid uh, uh, who's on the who's on the crash ship that really starts to like uh, sort of look up to idolize and eventually mimic Riddick, eventually getting his own goggles. But wouldn't you know it, uh, Jack is in fact a young girl pretending to be a boy, and Riddick has apparently known this most of the movie because in his creepy way he can smell that she's menstruating. I mean, that's a reveal that surprised me. I didn't think the character was a girl, and they don't introduce the character as a girl initially. No, the name is Jack. Of course not. Yeah, that, that didn't throw me, because I thought when I looked at her face, her lips were a little too full. I mean, she's she's not built or anything. There's no real giveaway, except for, I think, in her eyes and her lips. That I wouldn't have believed that she was a boy for a second. I can't believe you did. I laugh at you, Uncle Milkshake. Uh, what can I say? I'm not great about that sort of thing. I, I know we've rescued you from some of your mistakes. And how? Wow. Uh, with, um, with rope. But uh, but she, in shaving her head, I think the reveal is even more... Again, when she shaves her head, I could see it even more that she was a girl. But she does begin to hero worship. But she completely goes between the Riddick who has, like, the cool eyes and has really awesome skills. Um, she realizes a few things more about him, um, and as well as knowing more about Fry. Uh, and I guess she kind of goes back and forth between who she should be looking up to, whether it's uh, the female um, or the male. It's a very cool gender-bending kind of thing. Um, it's I think it's also uh, commentary on the relationships between, um, like, gender expectations as well as celebrity worship. I don't know. I might be reaching there. Well, you know what that it might also be commenting on? It's, it's entirely possible that, because, like, I never, like, I don't really feel, like, I don't really feel in this film that Riddick is a hero so much as he's a survivor that, that, does in the end commit a, a heroic deed, but I think the makers of this movie realize that if you make a science fiction movie, that the audience is going to latch on to a character like Riddick and assume he's the badass and assume that that makes him the hero. And Man, in their that's own why we weird, have a sequel. yeah, and they're well in their exactly, and in their own weird way, they're using the character of of Jack to comment on this 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 sort of action movie hero worship. Well, well, he has to be worshipped as the hero. He's the only strong masculine character. That's not true. He's the only one that we don't think is a dick. Well, that's true. Yeah, he just murders people. But then also, uh, uh, Abu is... is Abu al-Walid. He, well, yeah, he is a strong, stoic character who continues on and feels for the people that were entrusted to him. But he's not the leader. He's not the action-packed uh, hero of the movie. Mm, true. Um, I would actually like to talk a little bit about the spirituality. Uh, I think it's really interesting that they that they put a Muslim character as the religious uh, center, I guess, of the movie, where they do talk about religion. Because you don't really hear any of the other views from any other character except for the exchange that you have between him and Riddick, where Riddick's like, oh, I believe in God. I just hate the fucker. 
which is really cool. But I also want I I really I, I want to know was there any commentary on this Uncle Milkshake? There was. I did not get a chance to listen to it. The um the because I want to know there's two commentary tracks. One is with uh, the director and Vin Diesel, and one is with the director and uh, some of the special effects guys. Because I want to know why the writer chose. I think it's very interesting when when you have religion in the future and how either they haven't changed or they have changed. Like, oh, I'm a hollow priest, and yeah, and uh, oh, we we uh, worship zombie Jesus and stuff like that in the future. But at the same time, in this, maybe Muslim, the Muslim church to, or Muslim, uh, what's the word? The Muslim faith. Yes. That imams still wor- uh, worship, and that's still a strong contingent versus maybe Christianity that's gone off, or uh, or because again nobody else has any faith but the three Muslims or the four Muslims, which slowly goes down to one Muslim. Well, it's it is it is really because that is one thing because see, seeing this movie, it really does make you realize how rarely. Uh, religion factors into science fiction. Like, do do any of the like what what churches do any of the Star Trek characters go to? That never that hardly ever comes up in the series. In fact, the only I can only remember religion being a big part of Star Trek in in Voyager, um, and and you know not cropping up in in major ways in, in any of the other series. And like in, in Star, hey, no. That, what about uh, what about uh, Next Generation and the Klingon faiths? There were a couple. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that. There were a couple of there were a couple of uh, episodes focusing on that, but only when they needed it. There was never there were never any characters that really that, that carried a faith with them. True. Or, Nobody or was wearing a cross or a, yeah, or carrying a Bible. True. Yeah, yeah, and, and and it's like you know, it's it's like, and actually, it's funny. One of the one of the commentary tracks on the land the first season Land of the Lost DVD. This is the, from the one from the 1970s, not the, the second series of the new movie. Uh, the, their story editor really comments about how he finds it strange that of all the topics science fiction deals with, you almost never see religion brought up on, on sci- well on television in general, but also on science fiction television. And and I like that this movie does. I like that it, it, that it brings up religion, has a character of strong faith. I like that the faith is a real religion. And I also like I also like that it's that it's Islam, which probably which I don't believe was anything the audience was expecting. And you know, it's also cool uh, it, talking about how it doesn't uh, religion doesn't show up in science fiction. Um, oh damn it! I had a well, on television. There's plenty of uh, novels deal with it. It's like no, nothing happened because of the moon. Nobody commented on it. Nobody said, "Oh, this is terrible. Why can't they have a a Catholic or something?" Nobody comments that it's a bad treatment of the faith. No uh, fatwas were declared on uh, on pitch black because it, it was also treated with with respect. Except, of course, I guess an anti god stance, or not? I guess not an anti god saying that God's a bastard because we also we all worship the same god supposedly. Well, well, this is the thing about about Riddick is Riddick. Riddick the character is a character who's very in tune with with suffering. I mean, you know, we're, you know, we're we're all born kicking and screaming, but in his case, he was born kicking and screaming because someone was trying to strangle him with his own umbilical cord, and he's been kicking and screaming against the universe ever since, and the universe keeps pounding, it just keeps pounding away at him. 
Well, even, but, like, that information that you just said, you know, plus him saying he was in a prison for uh, half his life for killing people, is almost all you get to learn about Riddick, and I think that makes him pretty effective in this movie, and that it does leave a big air of mystery to the character and doesn't over-explain things. Yeah, which I think the next movie does too much. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll talk about that one. Yeah, we'll save that. We'll save that for the second film. Oh, God. Um, where were we? Oh, we were talking about the faith of the characters. Oh. Um, and, and just about Riddick, Riddick's humble origins. Well, see, now that's the thing. You talk about him being, like, all about suffering. And then we have that thing where Fry is... goes back to save him because she hears his scream while he's being cornered. He's he's He beats up two of the creatures. He's able to kill two of the creatures, but he's badly injured. And she puts his weight on her, and she tries to take him to the ship, a ship that before he was going to steal himself. And he actually offered her a chance to get off the planet without the stragglers who were stuck in a cave that he put them in. He gave her the chance to escape. She didn't take it. She could have escaped, but instead, she went back for the went back for Jack and the Imam, uh, Abu. Uh, but she doesn't. She goes back for him. She even says to him in the in the first part that she would die. She would give up her life to save them. And the second that she's pulled into the darkness by one of those creatures trying to help him, he says, not for me. Not for me. And then he goes and gets on the ship, and they get the fuck out of there. So she is the hero of the film. He's the badass. He gets to kick a lot of ass. She redeems him, or makes it so that he redeems himself, because he feels indebted to her. I mean, I but think, she's the she, she's the hero. I think she feels so protective because she has that captain mentality. Even though you know she literally was not the captain of the ship, but the characters keep on calling her captain, and she assumes this sort of um, leader leadership role, role. Leadership role. And I thought that was a, a great surprise at the end of the movie. And um, I thought it sucked. That actually, that's the one part of this movie that made me go, "Oh." You wish you would have survived. I. I see why it had to happen that way. It does follow a certain convention. Um, of the woman dying? No, 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 of, the, of the, the, the sacrifice. She becomes the sacrifice. That is the only way that another character can be redeemed, or the only other way that the people can go. She could have, they could all three of them, could have gotten off. Uh, Jack, her, and the admin could have gotten off. But instead she went back, saved Riddick, so that he can save the future in the next sequel. Well, then what's interesting about Riddick before that is there's a scene where uh, he walks up, he wants to, you know, kill an alien face-to-face, which he's done before in the movie a few times, but then another alien sort of corners him from behind. And you don't see this big fight scene. You just sort of see the aftermath, which is Riddick really wounded and bleeding. Which I think is smart. I'm sure that had to be for budget reasons, you would have to think. It was also whether or not, I mean, because th- this is still, uh, computer computer special effects are still relatively new at this point. It's entirely possible that they may have tried to do 
a sequence with the live action Vin Diesel fighting a CGI alien and the actions just didn't match up because this, the technology wasn't as sophisticated as, uh, then as it is now. I think that's, I think that's valid. Um, but, oh, the coolest part about that is when she's leaning on him, she faces him and you just see her expression go, you can't see it because we don't have video, but her expression... And then you see drops of blood just hit the ground. And I thought, when I first saw it, I thought, Christ, is he that much of a bastard that he stabs her? I thought that too, yeah. But no, that's why we get the, that's why we get the cool sacrifice feeling. We get the, she did it for him. She died for him. She probably didn't want to die at all for anyone. But she was willing to die for the other two, which again makes it like... Uh, she really didn't want to die for Vin Diesel or for Riddick, but it happened. So now Riddick has to, uh, I guess, cash that in. He has to do the honorable thing for her awesome death, which again is 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 a good warrior's code. What do you think about the movie? Uses a lot of, um, I'll just call it Riddick vision, where it's from his point <laughs> of view. And it's sort of black and white with a bunch of lines everywhere. And no, 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 no. That's that's not Riddick view. Riddick view that's the alien. is that's like the alien view. The Riddick view is like when you um, get those, uh, you know, those those weird fo- uh, glasses that are like uh, what uh, Jordy LaForge had, and and you basically see just a line, and you see all the rainbow effects around your fingers and stuff like that. Because I think yeah. that's really what they design. They put just treated uh, plastic that you would get at a toy store into his eye. <laughs> and he, he, he's hurt by light because it's so focused. On them, it's more like they're seeing a freeze, I guess. Like, they, they actually are, like, feeling the air with their sonar. So it's like sonar vision. We're seeing the lines. We're seeing the depth. We're not seeing color or uh, any degrees of uh, shadow. We're only seeing uh, the forms and distance away from the creature's face, which again is cool when he uses the blind spot. Yeah, and he finds that there's like a blind spot, like within a few, like within just like a few feet of the tip of their nose, right in the like right dead ahead. They actually so as long as he like them. keeps moving, as long as he keeps moving with their head as they're oh, going see, that, back. And- that scene I love because it's almost like he's staring the creature down, <laughs> and he wins. He definitely wins because they're able to get off of Hades. They get out into the solar system just enough to get into the regular lanes of traffic. That's what they were trying to do. Because the, the ship itself, it, it wouldn't have fit the entire crew of the people who had crash-landed. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a shuttle prep. Yeah, because when they get to the planet, there's like, a, there's like a survey, there's an abandoned survey post that has a, an unpowered uh, shuttle and that's what they do. They they recharge the shuttle with with power cells, and that's that's what they're in. So that is pitch black. I think you know it was better. Pretty than, much. Yeah, I mean, I, the movie I thought was better than I expected. It's definitely a sort of a lean, scrappy film. Keeps it to a small cast, not that many locations. Uh, one thing I didn't mention that I did enjoy is you have a lot of these uh, in the beginning of the movie. A lot of these outdoor scenes, and they have this sort of. Um, very washed out look, but with like very a lot of blues and reds with the hues. I think they were they actually did um, 
expose the film uh, for a few shots just to get it mm, yeah. so it had that, that uh, effect to it. I think that the blue annoyed me to no end because there would be scenes that weren't in blue, even though I'm like, well, wait, but that that sun or whatever that's casting the blue shadow, that hasn't gone back yet because we keep seeing reappear unless they're at a different location on the planet. Let's say they travel to another side that you can't see that sun. Everything should be blue. Well, actually, as long as we're, we're talking about sort of little, little things that bug us, this is something that, that and it doesn't just bug me in, in pitch black. It's just like, I, I, I find the concept of prison planets don't really work because it must be a tremendous expense to sh- even in cryostasis to ship someone from one planet to another. It just seems like you're using a lot of resources if you're trying to deliver people to a prison planet. Well, what if that person is as dangerous as Riddick? Then why, why can't you execute him? I mean, if, if, if he's so dangerous, you're willing to ship him many light years away. And, like, are, are they just doing this to forget about him? I mean, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be easier to, 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 to execute him, whether it's done in a legal fashion or, or whether it's done as a sort of arranged accident? I got another thing that, that uh, I, I don't like. Um, why do the solar chargers revolve? I think that's just a visual thing to show that they're working. I think that's the uh, only reason why the solar power dome thing revolves when it's generating energy. It's, it's just a visual cue. It's, it's, it's like the piston in the middle of the TARDIS control box. That's just to show, that only reason that moves up and down is just to show us that the TARDIS is working. I thought that was to keep gravity working. Absolutely not. No, because isn't there a point where he turns it off and they go all they all go floating? Well, because he turned everything off. I'll have to watch that episode again. Um, oh, you <laughs> know what I don't Doctor like? Doctor Who while we're talking about a Vin Diesel movie. Well, with sci-fi. You know what I don't like? Uh, the invert effect when they uh, uh, kill that other survivor in the settlement. What do you mean? There's this, like, okay... The one girl's, like, by the door. She's got that blade scythe thing. She's ready to, like, kill somebody. They keep inverting, uh, like, you know, when, like, everything goes, like, black and white and goes the opposite color or whatever. They keep inverting it, like, back and forth, back and forth, just for, like, this suspenseful thing. I'm like, you know what? No, just have the camera angles and have the camera uh, cuts be a little more... Interesting, and you don't have to do that in Vertifact. I think that one of the editors... That's the only part of the movie that does it. Oh, yeah, you're right. I, I, yeah, I don't like that. There's a few lighting things I don't like, but then there's a bunch I do love, like the green of the flare, uh, the blue of those uh, worms that they catch that are on the uh, inside of that cave that provide enough light to keep away the creatures. Oh, you know, actually, this is something I wanted to bring up about those those the bioluminescent uh, worms, grubs, slugs, whatever they may they find towards the end of the movie. This is just sort of the pet hypothesis I've been carrying around with me, but I believe that's the larval form of the creatures. Maybe they never say otherwise. They never... Well, if yeah, you look mean, at the just... antennae, you look at the heads of the creatures. I don't think that's true. Well, well. If you look at the head of a butterfly, it doesn't necessarily look like the head of a caterpillar. Uh, true. I, I mean, I think they probably future. go through several stages. 
Because if you remember, you know, once the creatures are done feeding on the few people that are left on the planet, they, they start feeding on each other. And that just got me thinking, well, these, you know, these bioluminescent worms, oh, what if that's what their young are like? And that's just a defense thing that they have been glowing as a defense thing they have to prevent them from being eaten by their parents, since their parents clearly are not above cannibalism. I just thought that they were another creature that survived because they were off light. That was their survival mechanism to make sure they were eaten by the things that are afraid of light. I don't know, because, like, it seems as if everything on the... It seems as if everything on the planet has been eaten except for the monsters. I mean, we we never see... I mean, not counting the worms, we never see any other native life. We just see these massive skeletons. I mean, it's, it's, it's practically a dead planet. Hmm. Interesting. Cool. We've brought up a lot of cool points about Pitch Black. I have to get going pretty soon. We brought up a lot of awesome points about Pitch Black. <laughs> yes, awesome. About an awesome movie. You know, the thing is, sometimes I think this is such a dumb movie, and there are other times I watch it, and I think it's profound. This is one of those times that I think it was profound. If you caught me, like, in a week, I'll probably tell you this is a dumb movie. <laughs> I'm glad I reviewed it this week. But I was feeling, uh... Good. I'm thinking... Uh, we should take off next week because it's Thanksgiving. Makes we sense. No, we shouldn't. Yeah. Well, it won't be Thanksgiving by the time people actually hear this episode, but for us. Right. Uh, we'll probably do that following week then. Um, Wait, that the Wednesday isn't Thanksgiving. Thursday is Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, but, you know, just to give people... Yeah, I'll be on the road that day. I wouldn't be able to record anyway. Oh, are you going to Virginia? Yeah. Oh, good man. Okay, tell your family I said hey. I will. Has your family met your lady friend? Yes, yes, they have. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, Sarah will be going, right? Oh, yeah, she will be. Oh, yeah. Have okay. you met her family? Yes, I have. We'll be seeing them for Christmas. Why doesn't Sarah hop on for one of these? Uh, don't know. Let's I choose not to incriminate myself right now. Let's mess her. Let's, let, let's mess with her. Well, if we ever do Maniac Cop or, or uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, I know she wants to do oh. those. We should do Scanners, because there's actually uh, <laughs> sequels to Scanner. And one's called Scanner Cop. Oh, that's right. That's the third one. The first one has Peter Weller. I know that much. Mm. Ooh, so, it, final thoughts on Pitch Black? Final thoughts. Mm. I, I kind of enjoyed it. If you, want, if, uh, if you want to see a good, straightforward sci-fi adventure film, this, this would be one of the best to check out. Absolutely. I found Pitch Black to be a, a nice surprise. I've been hearing a lot of talk about it, you know, for, I guess, since it came out ten years ago. And uh, <laughs> it is enjoyable. You know, it doesn't feel too low budget most of the time. And it has some interesting characters. I don't think all the characters are fantastic. But, yeah, each character has enough of a moment where you, you get to feel like you know some of them. Oh, every character gets something to do. There's no there's, waste. I think there's there's completely enough range. Yeah. Um, you know, in a way, I was almost surprised the movie was rated R, but then you have some blood and you have a lot of language in there. Yeah. It's probably mainly for the language. I think you're probably right. But you know, you know what I do like, and this does follow, and this actually does follow, any kind of good horror movie, The Virgin Survives. <laughs> Riddick is a virgin, really. No, Jack. <laughs> as far as you know. Well, yeah, but those three kids were virgins. They all died. Yeah, if they're boys, then then that doesn't... Uh, <laughs> that doesn't... I never thought of that. I'll have to 
try and listen to the commentary or something. I don't know. Um, so, you have final thoughts, uh, Jason? Uh, I believe you'll find uh, that, that his name is Zeke. Zeke, that's right. I would not have survived. <laughs> well, actually, here, here, here's a good question. They, uh, as I recall, in the movie, they never actually give the aliens a name. They're called Bioraptors. That I've, maybe s- it, I've only heard it referenced as Bioraptors. I, I know, but that's like not in the movie. If you were on this planet and you had to name them, what would you call them? Anchorheads. Because we, uh, my friend Todd and I, Todd, uh, absolutely adored this movie too. Uh, you know, our, our name for them were Screechers. Screechers is a pretty good name. Yeah, you can't really call them the Pitch Blackies, can you? That doesn't work. You just lowered the level of this podcast, Uncle Milkshake. I was trying to think of some sort of pun with uh, that, you know, they, they like the night, they can see at night. I might as well just call it Pitchers. Why don't you just call them uh, Ray Ramirez, Night Stalkers? Night Stalkers, there you go. That'd be okay. Okay, Night Stalkers or Night Flayers, maybe. Night Flayers. Or you could call them Night Gaunts. <laughs> That's not to all of our friends out there. And our fiends. All right, cool. Well, uh, be sure to tune in uh, next time on the Sequel Cast. Check out the website, SequelCast.com. Next time we'll be covering the, uh, so far, last movie in the Riddick series called... Chronicles of Riddick. Should we touch on any of the uh, spin-offs? Um, we should definitely touch on the animated. I, I think we can mention the animated thing in the video game briefly, but I don't think we need to do a whole episode for them. No problem. Very cool. I look forward to talking about Jane Duty Dench. Yes. Indeed. Alright, well, good night, fellas. The sequel cast airs Wednesdays, 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific Time on Cascadia.fm online, internet streaming radio. You can also download episodes of the sequel cast from www.sequelcast.com.